Now time for the BCHL Podcast, presented by Subway. Here's Finn Williams to end the game to the floor. Yeah. He scores! There's a backdoor play. What a goal! Zach Michaelis! Rolling puck in front. Tied up in skate. Rowan Clark with a heroic save. My goodness, Rowan Clark. What did you eat for pregame? Real balls, real shoot scores! Patrick for Nick Real. Donaldson driving the goal, wrapping around. He scores! Brilliant goal by Sean Donaldson. Schleppi to the goal. Once again, he scores! Oh my word, Tyler Schleppi with a dandy! Three on one. A move. Vito back to a move. What a save by May. Coming across with the left leg. My goodness. Hey there. Welcome to the BCHL podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Adamson. We're back again with another great episode for you with two awesome interviews. Uh, But before we get to that, I want to let you know that the BCHL podcast is presented by Subway. Subway is a longtime partner of the BCHL, and we thank them for their continued support. All right. On this week's episode of the show, we speak with former BCHL player and current color commentator for the Seattle Kraken. And that is Dave Tomlinson. We also speak with Cowichan Valley Capitals goaltender McCoy Bidewell, who is coming off a first star of the week performance. First things first, we speak with Tomlinson, who played for the Summerland Buckaroos in the 85-86 season, and then the Richmond Sockeyes in 86-87. And that Sockeyes team went on to win the BCHL Championship. Um, and also won a national championship. So lots of good stories from those days. Um, Dave went on to play four years at Boston University and then embarked on a 15-year pro career, spent uh, split between North America and Europe. He spent time in the Toronto Maple Leafs organization and then the Winnipeg Jets uh, before heading off to Germany where he played uh, the remainder of his career. As I mentioned earlier, he got into media after as well, first in Vancouver, uh, doing color commentary for the Vancouver Canucks on the radio, and is now back on the radio uh, as the first radio broadcast crew for the Seattle Kraken. So needless to say, it's been quite a hockey journey for Tomlinson, especially since his early days playing in the BC Hockey League. So uh, we had a ton of stuff to cover. Um, He was a a great interview and it was a great conversation. So uh, let's not waste any more time. Here is our interview with BCHL alumnus Dave Tomlinson. All right, Dave, uh, you're a, a former BCHL player, former NHL player, but where I wanted to actually start was um, you are the first radio color commentator in Seattle Kraken history. Uh, I know that's a job that you've held before here in Vancouver, but just wondering how it's been working for a brand new uh, NHL team in Seattle. Well, I'll tell you, Jesse, it has been awesome. Uh, and, and hearing you introduce it that way, it, it kind of hits home again for being able to be the first in this role uh, for this organization and the Seattle Kraken have done things first class from rebuilding the uh, Seattle arena to the now climate pledge arena. And it's one of the most beautiful NHL rinks there is. And uh, my broadcast partner, Everett Fitzhugh, him and I just hit it off. And so we really enjoy 
what we do for a living calling games. And for myself, like when I was younger, it was something that I always wanted to do. And uh, through my hockey career, I'd always seen the game just a little bit differently and, and noticed things that kind of make a, a bigger difference to the end result. And so to be able to do that for a living, talk about hockey, explain hockey here in this market in Seattle, where there's a hungry fan base, but they, they want to know more about the ins and outs of uh, hockey at the highest level. It has really been a treat and I've been enjoying it every single day. What's the buzz been like in Seattle around the team? Like what are the, what's the reaction you're getting from the fans around town? Uh, what, what's the atmosphere like there? They love it. Uh, being able to have their own team was something that uh, they had wanted for years. And then it, when it became a reality, uh, you know, they, they sold 32,000 season tickets before they even got uh, the okay from the NHL to, to have an expansion club. So the interest was there. And then what I noticed early on for the fans of Seattle and anybody who follows the other sports, uh, the Seahawks or the Mariners, you know, they, they like their, their tough and, and strong play. And so with hockey, I mean, it's natural with all the body checks and fights and things. And what I noticed from the crowd is that they didn't cheer after a hit happened they would start cheering in anticipation of a big hit. And so, you know, they know what they're looking at and they like to see a hardworking group, which the Seattle Kraken have the wins and losses haven't been where I think people thought they would be. Uh, but you take that with uh, an expansion year, but the buzz is strong. It's growing. Uh, there are some fan favorites uh, with the Seattle Kraken, namely the goaltender Philip Grubauer and, uh, too bad that Brandon Tanev was injured as he was uh, like a bit of a cult hero here for the Kraken. So uh, I think uh, the expectations for how popular this team would be have certainly been met. You touched on it a little bit, but um, Vegas set some pretty unrealistic expectations for expansion teams back in 2017. Um, you said the, the wins and losses might not be uh, what what the team and what the fans expected, but how would you assess uh, the Kraken and, and the makeup of their team so far? Well, what I like about this Kraken team is they're in every game. It's not like the expansion teams of old where you're lucky if you get to double digits and wins on the season. You know, you look at some of the games that they played this year, some of their high watermarks, you know, they've beaten the Florida Panthers twice. Uh, you know, they've um, beaten the Washington Capitals at the time were one of the top teams in the standings. They beat Carolina when Carolina was at the top of the standings. So there's been those games where, uh, you know that they can play with the top teams. And then there's been some clunkers. Uh, the Kraken have lost to Arizona twice, and uh, both times they had the lead in those games. So, you know, you, you see that when in the, in the, with an expansion team where on certain nights uh, they can play with anybody, and on certain nights it's just not there. Uh, they don't have the depth, obviously. There's only eight players they have in the minors because of uh, expansion and only being able to build out a roster of about 30 and the dynamics changed when the Vegas Golden Knights had their expansion draft. It was the first time for other GM general managers to assess what they had for talent. And there was a lot of side deals where they would say, okay, don't pick this guy and we'll give you this guy and this guy. And coming into this expansion draft, general managers had, had three years to learn from their mistakes previously in, in granting Vegas uh, some really good hockey players. So there weren't those side deals and they weren't uh, those uh, marquee players available. And the ones that were had big contracts. So the Kraken decided the most 
valuable thing they could have is cap space. And so coming up on the trade deadline, they'll be able to use that uh, to their advantage. And what they really need is to, to grow slowly and look at uh, developing the players that they do draft. So having cap space and draft picks is uh, certainly the way to go in this system the NHL has. All right, switching gears here, I want to take you back to 1985. Uh, You played in the BC Junior Hockey League for two seasons from 85 to 87. Uh, Before we get into the specifics of those two years, just in general, when you think back to that time in your career and you think back to the league, uh, what was the hockey like back then when you were playing in the BCJHL? The hockey was what it kind of was in the NHL in the sense that you had uh, tough guys on every team. There was intimidation. That was a big part of the game. Uh, the BCJHL at the time that it was called was, uh, you know, the best junior league you could go to outside of playing in the Canadian Hockey League. And uh, the idea that a player could, could get a hockey scholarship and continue their hockey was really appealing to myself. And so I looked at some players that went before me into the uh, BC uh, HL and uh, just thought, boy, like how cool would it be to to play in front of fans that are coming to watch you play versus you know minor hockey and you know get to take the cage off of your helmet and wear a shield or no shield just like an NHLer. So there there were a lot of things that uh, I was really looking forward to. What I didn't know was what my path was going to be at that time. You know, I played two years of midget and my played my minor hockey with the North Shore Winter Club, which at the time, the group that I played with coming through all the way from, from Adam Hockey, we were winning banners every single year. So I, I came from a product of winning everything that there, you could win each and every year and then going into uh, my first BCHL season, not really knowing what I was getting myself into. So um, you were a, a top scorer on, on both of the teams that you were on. You had 88 points in 52 games your rookie year. You had 108 points in 51 games, one of the top scorers in the league your second year. So you, you're among these players. But uh, just wondering who who were some of the top guys in the league around then? Who stood out to you as uh, some of the, the higher end talent in the BCJHL at that time? Well, just before me was Joe Murphy. Uh, him and I were, were buddies and played together at the North Shore Winter Club. So he went to Penticton and they went all the way to the Centennial Cup and, and lost. And then he went to Michigan State. So I, I was trying to kind of follow his path a little bit. And uh, knowing how good he was, you know, trying to sort of match numbers offensively, which is pretty hard to do. And then, you know, there's a guy by the name of Lance Momotani who played, I think, for Delta when I was with uh, the Richmond Sockeyes, and I think he led the league in scoring, and I was a couple of points behind. And so I always like to measure myself with the top offensive guys. Um, and then when we had our team in Richmond, I mean, that team was built for success. And our coach was Orland Curtinback. And I tell you, he had a tight grip on our hockey club from the very start. And I think he knew we had something special. And we had uh, a lot of toughness. Uh, you know, we brought in a couple of guys from Alberta and uh, a couple of players from Ontario and then some homegrown guys. And we just we got better as the season went on. And it was a really special team and a special feeling to know that you had a team that was built for the postseason. And one of the things when I look back on that Richmond team, when we started the playoffs, we went on a 17 game unbeaten streak through the first three and a half rounds. And I, I look back at that and I think, boy, like. 
that's quite something to, to not lose a game going through the BCHL, going through the provincials, going into Alberta. And then, of course, uh, the stakes got higher and we uh, took on some pretty tough teams in, in Red Deer and Humble, but eventually were able to, to win it all in Humble. Yeah, what what was that championship experience like? You mentioned you won the BCHL, you made it all the way there, you you beat Humboldt. Uh, what what was the the feeling for for you and your teammates to achieve that um, at that level? Well, I just I think as the season went on and as the playoffs went on, we realized that there probably isn't a better hockey team in in the country that could beat us. And when we got into playing the Red Deer Rustlers, we finally fought, lost our first playoff game and their crowd was crazy. Like we had a police escort here. I was a 17 year old and you know, we've got placement station up front of our motel at the time because, you know, Red Deer, they were fanatics uh, thinking their team was, you know, was going to go all the way. So uh, that game was highly charged and we were able to beat them in seven games. And then when we took on Humboldt, we knew we were playing the other best team in the in Canada, and because they were hosting the uh, Centennial Cup, as it was called at that time, and is now that tournament again, you know, enemy territory. And we alternated wins and losses with them, and it was it was a tough, tough final. But uh, I think, uh, you know, our goaltender, Frank Romeo, we picked him up um, in the playoffs, as you're allowed to do. And he was fantastic. And with the Rocket for us, and then some of our players, like Jason Phillips, uh, got his scoring on track in the playoffs. And uh, we had a, a big, tough defenseman, Matt Hervey, who could run a power play or if he had to drop the gloves and take care of himself. And then I had a winger um, who he's now a fireman in Prince George by the name of Jim Gunn. And he wore those Donzies shoulder pads. He had a handlebar mustache. And, you know, I would just lay the puck into the corner so he could go run a guy. And that would set the tone for our team because we could play any way you wanted. We could play finesse. We could play, you know, body check for body check, fight for fight. Uh, there, there wasn't a team that was as set up as we were to play any type of style of hockey you wanted. And, of course, with Orland Curtin back, our coach, you know, he, he himself really knew – the temperature of a hockey game and how to get us ready for what we have to do that night. After that year, you were off to Boston university. Uh, but just before we get to your, your four years there, you mentioned not, not knowing exactly what your path would be when you started in the BCHL and obviously ended up choosing the college path, which is, uh, the kind of the go-to option when you play in this league. But, uh, what was it about the, the college path that seemed like the best fit for you to advance your career to where you wanted to go? Well, I'm glad you asked this question because, you know, there's there's a learning lesson in here. And, and what it is, is uh, when I was playing midget hockey, I wasn't very big. I was maybe five, seven, 150 pounds. And, uh, you know, the Western Hockey League would have been the next step if I wanted to go uh, play junior hockey. But, uh, you know, I, I, there are no guarantees at that time. And I, I just felt that I would get, um, you know, chewed up and spit out. And so the idea of being able to get a hockey scholarship and, and know where you're going to be for the next four years and be able to develop. And with college hockey, obviously, you, you play just on the weekends for the most part. So you have your week of practice. You have lots of opportunity in the gym. And that was just really appealing to me because a lot of times you, you think, oh, I want to play pro hockey for a living, but you have no idea 
how to get there, what it takes to get there. And, and here's an interesting story. And so just a backdrop, my dad was a professional football player in the CFL. He won a great cup in the late forties, early fifties. And, and so he saw things from a sporting perspective. And I went to Penticton, they were called the Knights at the time. And they had a pre tryout for their regular training camp. And so I participated in that. I thought I was ready. I thought I did well. And at the end of this pre tryout, they separated all the players, you know, they put a list and, and said, you know, look for your name. And they put, you know, went into three different rooms and you could see from the names that one room is the guys, <laughs> one room was the guys that were going to go to main camp. And then there, there's another list of names of guys that you know, thought, okay, these are the guys that, um, you know, are considered, but probably aren't going to go to main camp. And I was on this third list and there's only a handful of names. And I go into this room with these other players and I'm looking around. And I'm like, I, I, what am I doing in here? This is a mistake. And whoever it was that gave us the talk, because it wasn't the coach, it wasn't the assistant coach for Vindictin, it was somebody else. And he started the talk by saying, hey, listen, guys, hockey as a career isn't for everybody. You know, there's other things you can probably do with your life uh, if hockey doesn't work out. So, you know, here's the time for you to think about the other skills you might have because, you know, hockey might not be it. And so I walked out of that room thinking, was I just told that I'm no good? Should quit? <laughs> like I, I didn't know really what to do. So I called my father. I'm in Penticton. I'm at a payphone when they had those, and I said, "Dad, I I not only just got cut. I just got told that hockey's not for me, and they're in the cards. Like, what do I do?" And he says, "Well, you're not coming home." <laughs> I said, "Okay." He said, "Figure it out." So I jumped in my car and I drove up to Summerland, and they were used to getting players that were cut from Penticton. They called it Penticton shuffle, <laughs> went to Summerland. They said, yep, we'll take you. We need players. And I, I vowed that I would do everything I could to, to stand out in the league. And so even though our team didn't do very well um, offensively, I thought I put up some numbers and, and that was, that was my chip on the shoulder moment. And from that time forward, I, you know, made sure that I would be the hardest working guy on my team and, you know, as, as offensively productive as I could be. And, and that learning experience just opened up a lot of doors and also changed my mindset on what it means to play hockey for a living. That's a great story. Um, so then, uh, as I mentioned, it was it was off to BU for you. Uh, you one of the top schools in NCAA Division One. Spent four years there. Again, uh, a top scorer at that level. Your last year there, you had sixty points in forty-one games, thirty goals, thirty assists. Uh, just um, when you look back on those four years, uh, what do you remember about your time at Boston University? Well, we had a, a big freshman group. Uh, I think we had 10 to start and a couple of guys left, but um, we missed the playoffs our first year, which was uh, unthinkable for, for a BU team. And so uh, same sort of thing. We kind of looked around at this freshman group and, and said to ourselves, like, we're the ones that are going to get us out of this. And we, we grew as, um, as a core and we were a real tight team. But the biggest change for myself and, and for our team was off ice. Uh, there's a strength and conditioning coach and he's still at it. His name is Mike Boyle and you can find him on Twitter. And he was so far he heads above other strength and conditioning coaches at that time. We're talking late eighties. We would all have a, you know, 45 pound plate that was in our room that we'd have to 
meet in the morning down at the Charles River and do plyometrics and stretching and, and certain things and uh, with this with this plate. And we use the weighted vests. We, you know, we did all these different sprinting techniques and, and plyometric exercises that I had never done. Nobody in junior hockey at that time or even in, in minor hockey had thought about how to develop your stride and how to develop uh, strength. And so you look at some of the players that came out of that, that four-year team, um, Sean McKecker and Tony Amonti, uh, Keith Kachuk, Scott Lachance, uh, Peter Ahola. Um, you know, he built hockey players. And so he built our team all the way up that our final two years, we went to the NCAA final four. We lost in the final four our first year. And then we went to the championship game and lost in triple overtime to Northern Michigan, which is one of the, uh, the most electrically car- charged NCAA finals going. And, uh, you know, w- without the base of strength and conditioning uh, that he built, Mike Boyle, and then the legendary coach, Jack Parker, who taught our team how to play as a team, you know, without those two figures in my life, I would have never been able to turn pro. Yeah. Speaking of turning pro after that, uh, you joined the Toronto Maple Leafs organization, uh, spent five years playing pro in North America, um, NHL and, and, um, minor leagues, AHL and IHL. Uh, you scored your first NHL goal with the Winnipeg jets during the 93, 94 season. Uh, what, what do you remember about that moment? I'm sure it was pretty special for you. Well, yeah, it was, it was in St. Louis. And I remember that, um, the morning of the game, my job was to shadow Brett Hull. That was what they told me to do. And so I was playing the wing and, uh, you know, I mean, the Hull at this time was putting up, you know, 60 goals plus 70 goals. And so I would literally follow him around. And I, it was a kind of a two-way sentiment at the time, but uh, playing the wing. And I remember early in the game, I was following him behind the net and he shoved me over, went to the front of the net and deflected a puck in. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like the one time I'm not in his back pocket and he scores. But as that game went on, it was a lot of back and forth. And my goal was a a deflection in the front of the net. And because it was a point shot and obscured and past Curtis Joseph, when I got to the bench, you know, they announced it as Sergey Bouton, our defenseman scoring the goal. I'm like, Oh great. You know, not only am I scored on, but I finally score and they credited somebody else. But um, that game went on pretty well. He played on the line with Nelson Emerson and Keith Kachuk, and we uh, we almost put it to overtime. Uh, ended up losing, I think, six five. But um, you know, you're scoring your first goal, and that kind of makes you feel like you've arrived at the NHL level. And so, you know, it didn't work out for me offensively uh, as I continued on with the Jets and then the Florida Panthers. But I told myself I'd give myself you know five years trying to make it in the NHL. And if that doesn't work, then, uh, I knew that Europe was an opportunity. Yeah. That perfectly leads me into my next question. It was off to Germany. Uh, you spent the majority of your career there. You spent 10 years in Europe, like I said, almost all in Germany. Uh, what went into the decision to, to choose Germany out of those European countries? And, uh, what was the hockey like once you got there? Well, I think the biggest thing for myself is I, I learned what type of hockey player I was. And when I played in the minors, I was a scorer who could check. And then when I was in the NHL, I was a checker who couldn't score. So um, <laughs> when I got uh, thinking about going overseas, a teammate of mine, uh, Stefan Riche, the defenseman, not the forward, was over there already. And we had played together in Cincinnati when I was with the uh, Florida Panthers Farm Club, the Cincinnati Cyclones. So Riche and I were teammates. 
he was over in Mannheim and how it was working at that time and kind of still does when North American players go and play over in Europe, the coaches and managers over there ask those guys, Hey, do you know anybody who's really good that would want to come over? And you've almost become, you know, a, a scout for your own team because you want to build the best team you can when you're playing in Europe. So Reese told me about Mannheim and how it's a, a good city and, you know, they're building something. And when I was scouted by them, uh, it just seemed like they were the right fit. They had a North American coach in the name of uh, Lance Nether. He was still uh, involved over there in Germany. And um, I went over. Um, I realized that in Germany, the, the style of hockey is, is closest to North America. Because in Switzerland, you only had three imports and you had to do it all yourself. And in you know, Russia, they wanted NHL guys who had big numbers and they paid them the big bucks. And it was always the kind of the wild, wild west. And up in you know, Finland and Sweden, it was also a different style of hockey. And so for me, looking at how some of the guys that I knew that were playing in Germany, how they were doing, it just seemed like the right style of hockey for myself. And I was fortunate that Mannheim at that time wanted to build a hockey team that was built to win. And so my first season, we won the championship. My second season won the championship. My third season won the championship. And that was it. I was finally in a spot where I was winning, making decent money, having a, a good time, but playing top quality hockey. Just a couple more questions. Appreciate uh, your time here. Um, so a- after your playing career, you ended up in the media. You mentioned how you kind of had that in the back of your mind while you were in your playing days and kind of saw the game from a, the media perspective. But uh, you got to work for uh, TSN 1040. I guess it was probably Team 1040 at the time in Vancouver. Um, how special was it to to come back to BC and get to work in your, in your hometown? It was awesome. Uh, you know, it was a dream come true because as a kid and, uh, you know, this is how goal setting, I think, can help. My goal was to play hockey for a living and be a sports broadcaster, like as a as a elementary school student. And so getting the chance to get on air with at the time, you're right, Team 1040 and Paul Carson, um, the late great Paul Carson, he, he is the reason I was able to get on air and once I got on air, I just, you know, told whoever would listen, hey, if you need me to talk hockey, I'm your guy. And it just kept unfolding. And at the same time, I had said to our program manager, Rob Gray, at the time, listen, I know you got a color commentator, color commentator in uh, Tom Larshide. He's awesome. But if there's ever a chance for me to do a Canucks game, if he wants a break or gets laryngitis or anything, I- I'm ready. Like, that's what I want to do. And so I uh, was able to get a break in that and then they made the move full time to myself and sort of i was a canucks fan growing up i was a bruins fan growing up but to get the opportunity to you know call color for the team in the city that i grew up in was awesome and then to go to the Stanley cup final and get that close uh was great too so just really fortunate but you know if any lesson gets pulled out of this along the way is set your goals really high uh, because if you do that um, and, and aim towards them and, and ask around at what it takes to get there, you know, life's beautiful and you can really aspire to what it is you want if you put in the hard work and effort. And so I'm living through that still and being, uh, you know, bringing full circle and now doing color commentary for the Seattle Kraken expansion team uh, back in the NHL and, and, you know, kind of honing my trade. It's, it really is something special. 
Last question for you. Uh, it's the the BCHL 60th anniversary season this year. Um, you're you're obviously a big part of that history uh, with your two years in the BCHL. So, um, just a, a big picture question: When you look back at your time in the BCHL, what does it mean to you? What does the league mean to you um, in kind of the big picture of your career? I know for certain that I wouldn't have been able to go further in my career had I not played in the BCHL. Uh, it gave me the opportunity, uh, gave me a, a chance to play and, and garner some attention. And I think most players that want to play junior hockey do so because they want to play hockey for a living. Like that's kind of the idea. And you need to be playing in a top quality league that gets uh, the recognition and the eyeballs from scouts and coaches and general managers that are looking for players that they can build on for that next level, whether it's college hockey or whether it's uh, going to university in Canada. And then there's, I'll say this, there, there's always a place to play hockey professionally. If you look, you could play in you know Poland, you can play in Italy, uh, you can play in Austria. There will always be a place to play professionally, but you've got to, learn how to be a pro and you can do that playing at the BCJHL or BCHL level because, you know, talking with, you know, different players along the way uh, that I get to interview and talk with. And I was just in Boston last week talking with, uh, with the guys at BU, they know to come to the BCHL to look for top quality players. So uh, I, 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 I credit my um, pro hockey career to being able to play in the BCHL, being able to get a hockey scholarship being able to get uh, some development while I was in Boston and ultimately go on to a 15-year pro hockey career. All right, Dave. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know I kept you long, for so uh, thanks for sticking with me. Really appreciate it, and um, congrats uh, to you on, on all your success. Thank you. It's uh, really enjoyable to reminisce, and uh, once again, uh, grateful to be a part of the BCHL and uh I know the 60th anniversary season is going to be celebrated again and would love to be a part of it. And uh, for people that are listening, if you haven't gone out and catch a game, certainly do so. It's top quality hockey. And like I said, you'll be seeing the stars of tomorrow playing today. What would you call a new crispy chicken sidekick made by Subway sandwich experts? With seasoned chicken breast free from artificial flavors, a crispy golden brown coating, and freshly prepared just for you? At Subway, we call it the complete package. Introducing our new crispy chicken sidekick. Only $3.99, only at Subway, and only here for a limited time. Subway, eat fresh. Freshly prepared for your order. Limited time at participating restaurants. Extras additional plus tax. Huge thank you to Dave Tomlinson. What a great talk, and uh, thanks for being so generous with your time. All right, one more to go. We speak with Cowichan Valley Capitals goaltender McCoy Bidewell. Bidewell is the reigning first star of the week in the BCHL, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, he had a huge week last week, stopped 81 of 84 shots and a pair of wins, and also recorded his first career BCHL shutout last Sunday in a 4-0 victory over the Coquitlam Express. Bidewell actually started this season uh, with Fernie of the KIJHL playing Junior B. Uh, and then joined the Caps in November and has pretty much hit the ground running since then and taken over number one duties for the team. The 19-year-old has an 8-9-3 record to this point this year and a 9-16 save percentage, which ties him for sixth best in the BCHL. 
we caught up with McCoy after practice the other day uh, to chat about his introduction to the BCHL, uh, living life on Vancouver Island, a place that he had not been to before joining the Capitals. And we talk about uh, the rest of the season and the outlook for the Capitals this year. So um, let's get to it. Our conversation with Cowich and Capitals goalie McCoy Bidewell. All right, McCoy, you are the reigning BCHL first star of the week after uh, winning both of your starts last week. This is the second time that you've been one of the league's three stars this year. Um, how do you feel about your game right now? Um, I feel, feel like I'm just keeping it simple. I mean, I kind of don't worry about what's going on around me, and I know what I need to do every night to try and give my team a chance to win and just focus on what I can do. So you faced a ton of shots in those two games last week. You made 81 saves on 84 shots. Um, are you a goalie that actually likes to face a lot of rubber during a game? Does it help you get a feel for things? How do you approach uh, may- maybe having to face um, a more than average amount of shots in a game? I mean, I think it, it definitely challenges you. I mean, it gives you more focus than dialed in. There's those uh, sprints of time where you kind of don't get very many shots, then all of a sudden it's bombarded with shots. So if you get lots throughout the game or focused in all game, I mean, I enjoy the challenge and it makes you better every night. So so one of those games last week was a 4 nothing win against Coquitlam. Uh, it was your first BCHL shutout. Uh, how special was it to achieve that? Yeah, I mean, it felt good. I think uh, it's every goalie's dream to get a shutout. And if you can do that, um, then it's a plus for the team and makes it easier on the team. So... But, I mean, I couldn't have done it without them. I mean, there's definitely some blocked shots, so hopefully you can get some more wins out of it and keep going. So you're from Grand Prairie, Alberta. Um, just looking at your uh, your page on Elite Prospects, it looks like you played your pretty much your entire hockey career there up until a couple of years ago. So um, for someone that grew up there and, and played your hockey there, what was it like in Grand Prairie in the hockey scene playing your youth hockey there? Yeah, it was good. I mean, we always had a kind of a close group of like our kind of my age group was always close and we went and grew up playing spring hockey together and kind of just transformed into youth and the midget hockey up there. So, I mean, lots of long road trips. I mean, our closest game was kind of four hours away, so lots of time on the bus, but it, it developed a close bond between a lot of us, core group in there, and it was a lot of fun, so... So you ended up actually playing for Fernie in the KIJHL. Uh, what went into this decision to come to BC and play Junior B? Um, I think I uh, ended up getting released there last year from the SJ. and They gave me a call and I said, well, I don't got any other options right now. So I took it and I ran with it and worked my butt off. And I mean, it paid off in the end, so... So when you when you got there and just to start this season, you you put up some great numbers. You had a nine five nine save percentage. Um, you had three shutouts in twelve games. Uh, what did that stint uh, in Fernie do for your confidence? Yeah, I think it allowed me to realize that like I'm a I'm a good goalie. And I just need an opportunity, and uh, yes, uh, they gave me the opportunity here in Couchin, and I'm making the most of it right. I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen with the year. I just knew I needed to keep working hard and good things would come. 
So in in November, you ended up joining the Caps. Um, how how did that end up coming together? It's not, um, I mean, it's not completely unheard of, but for a goalie to end up switching teams mid-season, usually you, you see a team will have their two goalies in the fall, and then that's kind of what they stick with for the year. So how did that come about that you uh, ended up with the Caps, and, and maybe how did you get on their radar to, to join the team? Um, well, Sam, we hired Sam Waterfield as his assistant coach here, and uh, he was c- coaching in Grand Prairie before that. So I guess he knew knew of me from there, which is where I'm from. And I guess maybe the coaches or some of the people around the rink were talking about me. And when he came here, I guess they needed a goalie and gave me a call, and we kind of got it all figured out. And I came down for a trial run, and I mean, the rest is the rest is history, I guess. So. So, so switching teams partway through a year can be tough on a goalie. I know there's some adjustments that need to ma- be made when it comes to systems and stuff like that and getting used to your uh, defensemen. So uh, it seems to have been a pretty smooth transition for you. So how have you approached that? How have you kind of been able to deal with the change in systems and a change in scenery um, midway through a season? Yeah, I mean, I think as a goalie, all, like there's always going to be different circumstances. But the way I play my game, I like to kind of calm everything down. And I think that's really helped. Like I think of talking to a few people around the rink and talking to my defensemen. It's just they feel the calmness in my game while they're playing. And I feel that security. And that's what I like to give everyone in front of me, right, is if I can control the pace of the game, then it slows everything down and makes it easier on everyone else. So I understand you hadn't been to Vancouver Island before you joined the team. So um, what what were your impressions of the area once you got there? Oh, it's beautiful, especially, I mean, the last couple of days we've been blessed with some great weather. So, I mean, it's a little different than the cold winters that we get up in Grand Prairie, but I'm enjoying it so far. So your your team is in a battle this year for that final playoff spot with Coquitlam and Powell Rivers uh, there with you guys as well. Um, one out of those three th- three teams, or sorry, two out of those three teams will grab the, that final spot. So um, you just split a ge- pair of games with the Express. Uh, what what does your team need to do down the stretch to make sure you guys uh, get in into that last spot? Yeah, I think uh, I think we've been playing good hockey. I mean, we've been kind of starting to string together some points here in the last. Like, I mean, we went five for six last weekend. We unfortunately dropped one last night, but. I think it's it's coming, and I think you can expect a lot out of us coming down the last stretch. So just the way the schedule is set up, you guys actually have some time off here. You have nine days in between games. Um, what what will you do with that time off? Um, I know maybe your approach is a little bit different as a goalie uh, compared to some of your teammates. So how do you approach this stretch uh, where you get some time off? Yeah, I think we definitely have some injuries in our lineup right now. I mean, there's a couple guys with concussions and whatnot so it's going to be good to get those guys healed up and i'm going to take some time to work on my mobility and get to the gym a bunch and work on what i can do off the ice and get some practices and get dialed in for the rest rest of the season here last question for you so i know you're fully aware the, the goal of most bchl players is to earn an ncaa division one scholarship uh you're obviously still fairly new to the league since you just joined uh, a couple months ago but is that something that's on your radar at the moment is that on your mind is that uh the goal for you uh to get out of this is to get that scholarship yeah i mean i think that's every kid's dream growing up was to get a scholarship and if they can play 
or go to school and if they can play hockey while doing it, that's even better, right? So, I mean, I'm not too worried about it now. I mean, if it, if it happens, it's would be great. Um, I'm just going to focus on what I can do right now, and if it comes, then it comes. All right, that does it. Another episode of the BCHL podcast in the books. Thanks again to both my guests, McCoy Bidewell of the Couch and Valley Capitals, who you just heard from. And of course, Dave Tomlinson, BCHL alumnus, current color commentator for the Seattle Kraken. Uh, Both were great conversations, so really appreciate both of their times. One final shout out to the presenting partner of the BCHL podcast and that Subway. Thanks again for your support. And as usual, a huge thank you to our producer, Greg Ballack, for stitching this thing together behind the scenes. If you aren't doing so already, uh, please give a follow to the BCHL on social media. We are at BC Hockey League on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, And you can also find up-to-date information at www.bchl.ca. We posted our latest 60th anniversary decade recap this week, focusing on the 1980s, which was a huge decade for the BCHL. Um, It produced players... Uh, like Brett Hull, who went on to become one of the greatest goal scorers in NHL history um, and also uh, gave birth to a couple dynasties. The Penticton Knights won five out of 10 BCHL championships that year. Uh, The Vernon Lakers started their run of uh, four titles in five years. So those are just a few of the things that we cover uh, in the feature. So uh, if you want to read up on that, it is available at bchl.ca. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And we will talk to you again next time.